I love that song. Man. The break my heart for what breaks yours. That's the, that's the, that's the convicting part, <laughs> at least for me. Because um, frankly, my, my heart is not broken for what breaks God's most of the time. And, uh, you know, as we, as, we, uh, as we dive in here this morning, this is, this, is, this is a tough subject. Um, Romans 12, it's two verses. That's all we're going to be going through this morning. Um, and two pages. <laughs> so, uh, here's the caution. Um, and here, here's the difficulty with these verses. Is that if we're not careful, it's going to sound... Like, God has a list of things for us to do. And, and we got to just step back here. Paul has spent 11 chapters in Romans. We've been walking through it since March. 11 chapters establishing a foundation of righteousness through faith. Okay? The gospel, the good news. He's, he's built this amazing, beautiful slab of concrete, right? Like, it's, it's miles thick. And like, that's the foundation that we have. But we can jump on top of that foundation and we can build stuff that is, is frankly, not based on that, right? Like, like, we can go down a path where we forget that that foundation is beneath us and that that's undergirding why we're doing what we're doing, and this is where legalism comes in. This is where we start going, oh, just whatever all of that theological mumbo-jumbo, I just want to know, what does God want me to do? And it doesn't work like that. Clearly, it doesn't work like that, right? Paul, Paul's walked through 11 chapters of going, like, this is how this all worked. And so, I, 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 if... if when I say, and I know there's guests in here this morning, and, you know, like, it, it, when I say chapters 1 through 11 laid the foundation, if you don't get that, this might sound a lot like legalism, because you don't, you haven't, you haven't been reading that. So I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm going to hit some highlights, and we're going to go. If, if you walk out of this place this morning, anybody, right, guests or, or normal, you know, attender here or whatever, right, part of the family, like, if you walk out of here thinking, I got a lot to do, you've missed it. But if you walk out of here with a convicted heart, if you walk out of here with a broken and contrite heart, that's good. That's where we should all be. There should never be a day we walk in here and don't walk out with a broken and contrite heart. Let me start by praying. God, we, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. And we say that with trepidation because... We know that the words that we're about to read are going to challenge us. They're going to challenge our priorities, our time, our finances, our lives. They're going to challenge our hearts. They're going to challenge everything that we are, Father. And I ask that you would just pour over a wave of conviction through your Holy Spirit this morning. That this wouldn't be something that we just leave here we just go about our merry way, but that it would change us forever. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. If I didn't get to meet you on the way in, please stop me on the way out. If, if you're a guest here, I know we've had some, some second-time guests, um, please you know, fill out one of the gray cards, and then we can get you into our systems and all that stuff. If, if, you're, if you're intending to come back, we, we try to be very um, respectful, right? We understand people come and just check out, verses, or check out churches and then, and then leave, and so we don't want to like, you know, wrap you in really quick or anything, right? We want to be cordial and go, like, is this a, is this a family that you want to be a part of? And uh, so just, just realize we, we do that on your pacing, not, not our pacing. Um, so if, and, and that's the method is those little gray cards. And, uh, all right, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The, the verses are going to be on the slot, uh, up on the screens. Um, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. If you have a Bible, I'll just continue to encourage this. Like, I, I just, just bring your Bibles. Um, you can obviously open it up on your phone and go to esv.org, and you can find verses there as well. Um, but I, I highly encourage you to, um, to, to, to have, I'm not going to go down that path. I did that last week. So, um, okay, so, so we're going to back up real quick, and we're going to start in Romans chapter 6, because this is the undergirded foundation, right? This is that, that concrete slab that we're building our houses on, okay? And our houses being our lives, okay? This, this, is, this is the metaphor I want you to think about. Okay, you step up onto this massive, and I know there's some construction people in here. Um, I'm actually doing like construction for uh, uh, the base, and so they're, they're, they're talking about this massive like monolithic, like there's no, there's no seams in it. It's got to be this, anyway. It's going to be huge, and, and so I'm excited to see it, um, but it's, it's, the intent is that there's like no vibration, no movement, right? God's not changing. That's the foundation, and so this is what he says, it, it, this is how he communicates our relationship with him, okay? So this is in this, uh, I've kind of picked and uh, cherry-picked some, some verses here. So Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, okay, so believers, people that have placed their trust in Christ, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And when we went through Romans 6, right, we, we read that and we're like, new life, different, should, should look different. You can't, clearly, we're, it's, it, our lives should look and smell and feel different. And not smell, I mean, you know, whatever. All right, um, and then skip down to verse 12, Romans chapter six, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You, the, the, the members is what, he, what he's talking about, like arms and legs, right? Like, like your body should be instruments. You should be thinking like, how does my foot, right? How does my foot bring righteousness, right? Like, like this is how we should be thinking about our entire lives. And this is, this is building, this is setting up. Go to the 7.6, Romans 7.6. He says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, sin, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. There is no legalism here. 
Okay, I, I gotta, like, you guys, you guys tracking with me on this? There's no, he's saying like, you're, you're now obeying by the Spirit, like the Holy Spirit. It's conviction, it's a heart change. It's because our hearts have been broken for the things that break God's hearts. And so that's our motivation. Our motivation cannot, just, and we're gonna see this theme throughout. It cannot be a checklist of do's and don'ts that God, it, then your life is somehow meritable and God is then happy with who you are, right? What, did we, what have we been talking about, right? Like the Pharisees were condemned because they trusted in themselves for righteousness. And what did we read throughout Romans? Oh, where does our righteousness come from? Jesus Christ. All right, so let's go to Romans chapter 12. Verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. This is not Paul saying, I recommend you do this or that, right? And that word brothers is brothers and sisters, right? It's, 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 it's like, I, I'm, I'm appealing to you guys. Therefore, he says, right? If you've got your Bible, underline that therefore. Therefore, chapters 1 through 11. Therefore, what? Now what? If you, if you walked through chapters 1 through 11 and you heard the truths that God communicated to us through Paul's letter to the Romans, and you go, yeah, I, I got it. Okay, well, now what? God doesn't want us to die smarter. That's not the point. The point is not that you just grasp these theological truths and you're like, yeah, cool, awesome. I know a lot of people. Or I know a lot of facts. I know a lot of things. There's a, a lot of people that get lulled into thinking that intellect and putting these pieces together and theological soundness is what rescues them. And it's not. It's trusting in God. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying your theology doesn't matter. It certainly matters but it's not what saves you. All right, so go back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rewind again here. Okay, so what's the therefore? Romans chapter one, verse 16. He's gonna go through the, the what, the how, and the why. What? Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is salvation, eternal Salvation. The words that we sang, and I'm going to mess them up again because that's what I do. It, it, you know, it, it talked through. Um, the, <laughs> I don't know why I do this. It, it's, it, it's the one that we're, it, it's talking about that, that, um, that all things are for my good, right? Whatever, whatever we sang, we sang that, right? I know the verse, I just don't. Um, so, yeah, yes, yes, that's true, but that's not all of it. It's not just for your good. This isn't just a, God doesn't pour this foundation for you to just have a nice house and just chill on it. Like, that, that's not the point. It's for our good and his glory. In fact, for his glory is the number one thing, right? He rescues us. And so, so the gospel is good news of salvation, eternal salvation for us. And then look at what it says in chapter 3, verse 21. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested, 
Apart from the law, though the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How? How does God, how does God rescue us eternally? How does God give us salvation through Jesus Christ? Right, right? We talked about this. We talked about justification. We talked about this great exchange where, where our sins get levied upon Christ and, and he takes the wrath of God for every single sin we've ever committed. And in, and in the ex- exchange of that, we get Christ's righteousness, his perfect righteousness. And so th- there's this beautiful exchange. That's the how. And that's what Paul's been spending like the last 11 chapters talking through. And then we read last week the why, 11.32. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on us all. This is why God gets the glory. It's about him. It's about his character. It's not about, it's not about a good life. Okay, we're going to see this as we walk through. Reconciled to God, right, is the best life you can live. That's, that's the life that you were created to be in, in right relationship with God. You can think of it as like Genesis 1 and 2, right? Before the fall, Adam and Eve's relationship with God. It was perfect. It will be perfect for us in, in heaven with him, right? But like that reconciliation that we can have now, it is the best life for us. That's, that's hard to convince people. All right, so look at what he says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I did cut it off earlier than I wanted to. I'm sorry. Hopefully you have your Bible. <laughs> your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, so, so he says, based on all of this, we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice, and that that is our spiritual worship. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start at the end of this thing and work our way back up. We're going we're gonna to start with this idea of spiritual worship. Notice he puts an adjective in there. He doesn't just say worship. He says, this is your spiritual worship. This is your real worship. This is, this is it. This is, this is what it all boils down to. If you really want to worship God, you will present your lives as living sacrifices to God. If you really want to worship him, we're going to see this as we unpack each piece of this, but but the question for us is, how do we worship God? Because you can worship him not spiritually. You could be here right now this morning and not worship. You could have sang all those songs and not worshiped. You can read the Bible and not worship. In fact, I think a lot of us do that. We read because we got to get through our Bible in a year. We read it because we're trying to stick to a chapter a day. We read it because we just feel like we should and feel guilty when we don't. It's not worship. None of those are worship, guys. If you come in here because you've just always gone to church, it's just a pattern, it's just what you do on Sundays might not be worship. You can even be praying to God and not worshiping him. He is with me on this. There's, there's one way 
to spiritually worship God, to really worship God, and that's to present our bodies as living sacrifices. That's it. We're going to continue to unpack exactly what that means. But I, I want us to go back. Um, go back to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 20. This is where um, Saul loses his kingship. And, and it's, you know, this is one of those things, right? Like when we read stories, right? The Old Testament is usually a lot of like stories. And you're just kind of like, why do I, like, <laughs> it seems weird. God totally shifted in the New Testament. And he doesn't tell the stories the same way. Now it's a bunch of truths. And the Old Testament is kind of weird. No, no, like, like the Old Testament stories are, are put together. And, and these events unfolded in this way so that God could teach us truths through them. So look at what it says in 1 Samuel 15, verse 20. Actually, let me give you a little background because you're like, where are we at? So, so God told Saul to go kill all the Amalekites. Like, kill them all, okay? And we can talk a separate, separate sermon on, on that, okay? Um, but he, he tells him, go, go destroy them, everything, vanquish them. Like, I, we, don't, we don't want any, and, and this is, I'll speak to it, briefly, but God doesn't want any pagan, doesn't want any idolatry to be near his people who are set apart, okay? That, that's really the why. He wants, he wants them to be, to be purified and not to be influenced by these external things. And so that's why. And so he tells Saul to do this. And so look at what it says in verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Okay. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But, <laughs> but the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, meaning like they were supposed to be destroyed, right? Devoted to destruction, like that's what they were supposed to... Doesn't matter, doesn't matter how shiny or nice the coat was of the lamb. I know we can all relate to this, right? Like, like a really nice-looking lamb. Even that's supposed to be killed. And he says, why did, why did they do that? To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Like, they, they kept these things back. They kept the good ones back for you, God. Does that seem okay? God says, do this. And he goes, I'm going to keep some of these things back, and I, I'm, going to, I'm going to give them to God as a sacrifice. What's he doing? He's taking religious practice, and he's putting that in place of obedience. He's saying, oh, well, well instead of obeying, like, I can, I can justify this a little bit. Because, I mean, frankly, I mean, we can't really read this, but probably between the text, you know, they're... They probably had ulterior motives, right? There were some benefits probably to them keeping some of those things. Maybe, maybe they weren't all devoted to, to, or maybe they weren't all for a sacrifice. Maybe some good, good eatings, right? But he, but he says, I obeyed. But I kind of just did this religious thing to kind of cover over what, what I was doing. And, and I think God's okay. I'm, I'm still going to call that obedience because I was still doing this religious thing. I still presented the sacrifice. Look at what Samuel says to him in verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Just dwell on that for a second. 
He's saying, does God care that you go to church and not obey him? Which one would he prefer? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion, not obeying, but rebellion is as the sin of divination. He goes, this is as bad as worshiping the enemy. This is as bad as being on the complete opposite side. It's not like, we, we kind of feel like there's like, there's disobedience, and then there's obedience, and then we're like, maybe just a little bit over here. And it's no. You're either here, or you're over here. I know these are hard truths, because we're like, what does that mean? What does that mean for my life? Where's God calling us to obey? I don't know. I don't know for you guys. And frankly, I spent more time writing this sermon than I thought applying this sermon. This is usually when I apply the sermon, which is usually why I end up crying. <laughs> Honestly. Because it should be convicting to us. It should be like, man, have I, have I just grabbed these religious things and went, oh, well, this is good. <laughs> I preach. I can do whatever I want outside of this. These aren't, this isn't far from any of us. It's dangerous. And he says, for rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Oh, that's a good one. Presuming, right? Saying, oh, God, I know you want this, but I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm sure you'll be great with this. No, he was, he was clear. He was clear about what should have happened. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord he has also rejected you from being king. And God strips the kingdom from Saul and gives it to David. All right, so let's go back to Romans 12. I know it feels like a one-two punch, but it's going to continue <laughs> for the remainder <laughs> because it just gets more convicting. So he says... This is your spiritual worship, right? Uh, he says, um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Our lives as living sacrifices. Our lives as living sacrifices. That's it. That's what, that's what our spiritual worship is. So if you're going to worship God, your life should be in sacrifice to him. And what does that mean? I don't know. That's, that's for you guys to figure out. Now, he isn't saying sacrifice like martyrdom, although that might be it, right? He says living sacrifice. Like as in every morning you wake up, your life is for God. Every morning. Every every. every place you walk into, every relationship you have, what you do, what you say, everything ought to be constrained by that. Like, this is, a, is this a pleasing sacrifice to God? Is what I'm doing here holy and acceptable to God? 
And if the answer is no, then stop. So here's what's funny. And honestly, I don't know that I've... I think I've probably used this word incorrectly in, in the past. Um, kind of. When we think of this, our lives completely devoted to God, isn't that what ministry is? Right? We hear people, they're called to ministry, or, they're, or the vast majority of us are not called to ministry. But God calls some people to ministry. I don't see that in this text. Do you? I, I see that we're all called to present our lives as living sacrifices. How God called. We are all called to ministry, which if you go back earlier, right? Ministry is service, right? We are all called to serve God. We are all called. Like, don't pass the buck onto me or somebody else. That's not how this works. But we, I think this is probably one of the greatest like, deceptions of our church is that, no, that's for them. They do the church thing in their lives, and I do the other things. And God just called them to do ministry, and I'm not called to do ministry. I, I don't see that in the text. I, I, I see that God calls us all to different things, clearly, but not that some of us are not called. You with me on this? When we go through the eldership process, we validate the call of these elders that are coming through, right? We're, we're validating that, that that is actually how God is calling them. We know God's calling them. It's just a question of, are they being called into eldership? You guys with me on that? Look at, look at uh, I think I can support this here. I hope so. Ephesians 4.1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, called. Go back to Romans 11.29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Larry just talked about that. We can go through a ton of scripture in 1 Corinthians talking about how God forms the church as a body and he, he gives us gifts and talents. He gives us opportunities. He gives us a community. He gives us all of these things. Why? So that we could represent God to this world. That's it. I'm the mouth, a mouth, right? Because I, I yammer, right? But that's not it. That's not it. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We're all called to proclaim the gospel. How we proclaim the gospel might be different. It is definitely different, but we're all called to it. We're all called to live lives as living sacrifices for God. So don't think you can pass the buck here. Don't think that you can go, well, that's just, that's just those people that are called into ministry. No, we're all called into ministry. That's the purpose of our lives. If it wasn't, and I've said this before, the second you got baptized, if God didn't want something, want us to do something, the second we got baptized, we would have whisked away and we would have been up in heaven. And you'd be like, awesome, cool, got another. It's not it. We're here. He keeps us here. Why? To build his kingdom. To build his kingdom. 
to point others to Christ, to advance the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. Not, we're not, we're not going to be perfect about it, right? I mean, we want to be perfect about it, but we're not. We mess things up all the time. But that doesn't give us the opportunity. That actually increases our opportunity, Paul talks about. Like, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because the more I boast in my weaknesses, the more Christ gets the credit. The weaker I am and the more pitiful I am, the more God is gracious to a pitiful, weak person like myself. You see how we think differently about this? Go, go back to Ephesians. Sorry, I'm making you guys go back and forth. Aren't you? Ephesians 4.11. Listen to how God communicates this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? All of us, right? We're equipping each other, right? He, he, he called some people to specific roles, right? Hopefully you feel more equipped and more, more uh, learned and more convicted by the preaching of the word on a Sunday morning, but hopefully you feel convicted and, and grow in your, in, uh, during discipleship times and your small groups, and, right? Like, like all of this goes together, even the fellowship that you guys have here. For building up the body of Christ. That's our point. That's why there, we're, we are equipping and we are being equipped for ministry, for what? Building up the body of Christ until, until what? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Oh, we got that. <laughs> that was a joke. We don't, right? Unity is not like we might as well strip that from the dictionary. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer, here's the blessing in this, and this is the cool part, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, there's a protection in this, right? When we're, when we're building God's kingdom, when we're obeying God, when our lives are living sacrifices, what does he do? He keeps us from these things. He protects our minds. He doesn't allow us to be deceived. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're all called to ministry. That's the picture here, isn't it? One body. Sorry, I stopped in the middle. We're going to skip the next slide. But go back to, go back to, um, go back to Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 7. Listen to how he describes this. Kind of alluded to this already. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. <clears throat> he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. 
and great was the fall of it. You guys get this parable here, right? Jesus is saying, like, what you do in your life, the house that you're building, not your physical house, right, but the house that you build, that is your life, changes based on your belief. If you're a follower of Christ, it should look different. But you're building it on this foundation, this rock. And what does he promise to us that it'll be secure? That's a beautiful promise. It does not mean life is going to go easy. The rain and the winds blow on both. Right? You with me on this? So don't, don't confuse that. Okay, so a lot of times people are like, oh, no, I, if I'm doing good things, like this is really what I want to do, and then I, I, God's going to bless me. Yeah, he's going to bless you. may not be in the way that you think he's going to bless you. Okay? But it's not just present your lives as living sacrifices because your life is going to be better. It's not that. Go, go back to Malachi. Last prophet in the, uh, in the Old Testament here, Malachi chapter 1. I'm going to read a bit of this. We don't, we, don't, we don't read these as often. We went through the minor prophets a long time ago, but we're going to read Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. This is God talking to Israel. And he says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? What he's saying here, when you're doing fake religious things, that's rebellion. It's just as bad as divination. That's, are you guys with me on this? You got to correlate these things. Go from like Old Testament sacrifices to what this, how this speaks to us in our context. Are you offering blind animals, right? Instead of instead of the the cream of the crop and the your, your most precious time and your most precious energy, are you giving God the leftovers? That's what He's saying here. And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Listen to this. He says, present that to your governor. Um, you know, we, we all have, most of us have bosses in some respect in our lives, right? Kids, you, you, your parents are your boss, right? If you work, right, you've got an employer. That's what he's pointing to here. He's like, present that to your boss. Would he be happy with your work? Would he be happy with your diligence? Would he be happy with your commitment? He says, will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. God says, I want you to shut down the temple. Shut the doors. No church next Sunday. That's what he says. 
Because you're not coming in here and worshiping God. We're not doing that. I'm just saying. This is what he's saying. This is the equivalent. We're not having church next Sunday. Because next Sunday, you guys need to get right with God. We need to get right with God. We need to really make sure that why we're coming here is right. It's for the right reasons, the right motivation. We're not coming here because it's a social club. We're not coming here because we get to see our friends. We're not coming here because, well, it's Sunday morning and what else are we going to do? We're not coming here because we need to make sure our kids have some little deposit of, of Christianity in their lives. He says, shut the doors. It's disgusting to me. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. How burdensome, God. And you snort at it. <laughs> I don't have time for that. I don't have time to offer a living sacrifice. There's, there's a world moving around here. I got stuff to do. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Why do we worship God? Because he's worthy of worship. Francis Chan, I think, um, I think it was him. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I think he, he makes a comment. And, and this, I think I've said this before here. And he goes, if you didn't have the promise of heaven, would you still worship God? Think about that. Are you worshiping him because of what you're going to get? Or are you worshiping him for who he is? Now, it's a big if because we are, so you don't have to dwell on it too long. But that's a, it's kind of a convicting thought, isn't it? Why am I worshiping him? So then he says in Romans 12, 2, Oops, sorry, go back to that. He defines what this is, what the spiritual worship is. He says, do not be conformed to this world. I'm conformed to this world. I am more than I'd like to be. I have to tell people that I'm a Christ follower because they can't tell, maybe, unless I speak it. Should that say something? You know, the world distracts us with shiny objects. It quells us. It, it entertains us. It does. The world presents us with all these things and it neuters us and it makes us weak and pathetic. And this is where, this is where God is saying, your lives should be living sacrifices. Don't be conformed to this world. Your life should look 
different. My life should look different. Our lives as Christ followers should look different. Maybe you can think through. Maybe you can think of somebody who's a Christ follower, and you're like, That's, that person's different. Right? Like, think through it. Because it's good to be convicted. It's good to look at other people in the body of Christ and go, I, I, I wish I was more like that. I should be more like that. And, and there's a corollary to this too, right? Because we often say that we just want to see God work, right? We're like, we want to see God do something. Maybe this is why we conform to the world because we're just doing worldly things because it doesn't look like God's like really doing anything. Do you, you realize that like God works through us and not to us, right? Like, like he, he wants us going and living sacrificial lives, and while we're building his kingdom, we're going to see his kingdom being built. That seems like that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? But instead, we sit back here and we twiddle our thumbs, and we're waiting for God to show us something impressive. And he's like, yeah, it's through you. I, like, I'm going to be doing these things. Like, and we've talked about this before. How does... How, how did you come to know who Christ is? Probably somebody told you? Somebody put a Bible in your hand? Why do we think that everybody, this world is just going to like all of a sudden just start like coming to church and just believe? God wants us to join him in this. That, that's, a, that's a whole nother sermon and a whole nother just beautiful blessing that we get, that God, the, the creator of the universe, the perfect holy creator, chooses jacked up us and says, I'd like you to partner with me. And I know you're going to mess it up all the time. But I want you to see what I'm doing. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I think, I think this is a little bit of a side note, but I think this is the, when we talk about like um, getting crowns in heaven and what it's going to be like when we're in heaven, I think the more that we have been doing, it's not like you get like, you're, you're, you're just a better person and so therefore you get like a bigger crown. I, I don't, personally, I don't think that's what it is. I think it's like you've watched this stuff being built and so you're going to have more and more and more joy on the day of Jesus' coming than somebody who basically escapes through the fire and believes in the last minute. That's the blessing. Because you get to watch it, you get to participate. When the team goes to the Super Bowl and you've been playing on the team, awesome, great. I just made my first football analogy, <laughs> ever. I'm a little disappointed in myself, I gotta be honest. Um, right, like if you're part of the team and the team wins the championship, like that's, the, that's more, that's better than just like, hey, so-and-so's in the playoffs, oh cool, let me tune in, right? There's been emotional ups and downs through the ways and, and that's the same thing with God. He wants us. There's blessing in us living lives that are not conformed to this world. And then what does he say? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. Be transformed. How? By the renewal of our mind. The renewal of our mind. This is the sanctification process that happens through the Holy Spirit. This does not mean think harder, study more, try to be better. That's not what that is. The renewal of the mind is that you think differently now. You're thinking, how can I glorify God in this relationship? In this opportunity? 
How does God want me to be faithful? How can I show a sacrifice to God in this aspect of my life, here or there or whatever? My decisions in my career, how, do, how does that, how can I show God that, that that is at his call, not mine? So how do we do this? How do we get, how do we get this new mindset? How do we think this way? Saturate yourself in God's word. Spend time with him. The more, the more you're spending time with God, the more you're thinking his thoughts, the more you're reading his words, the more you're thinking his thoughts, the more you're talking to him and he's speaking to you and you're listening, the more you're going to think differently. And you're going to go, I don't want to be conformed. I see the fakeness and the deceitfulness in sin. I see these decisions, right? We're all so good at looking at other people's lives and going, that was a bad decision. <laughs> but for our own lives, we just chugging along, and then we look in the rearview mirror like, that was a bad decision. He says, think differently. Capture all of our thoughts. Take them all captive. Everything that we're thinking, everything that we're doing, that's what living a life of sacrifice, that's spiritual worship. You see how different this is from coming to church on a Sunday and singing three songs and worshiping a little bit and then reading a little bit of scripture or having somebody speak to you about scripture and then like going on your merry way. That's not this at all. In fact, if we can really be honest, what, what I read in Malachi and what Jesus said in Matthew 7, that should tear our hearts apart because I know I don't live a life of sacrifice. And then here's the blessing again. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That word testing, it depends on your translation. You might, uh, I think the King James has prove, right? Like the idea there is that, that by, by experience, by, by, by walking through the ups and downs of life, while you're faithfully serving and living a life of sacrifice, you're going to be able to discern what God's will is more and more. And you're going to be able to know, man, isn't that the question for everybody? What does God want from me? Right? What's the right decision here? Which way does he want me to go? He wants you to sacrifice your life to him. And whichever way that ends up landing, that's the way. That, that takes a huge burden off of our shoulders. And that's the way that God intends it. We probably need to put into our vocabulary, if God wills, a lot more than we do. And this is what he's pointing to. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19. If scripture hasn't convicted you enough yet, how about this one? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. That's Jesus. He says, so glorify God in your body. 
We are not our own. I know the individualism of our society. It's plaguing the church because we grow up thinking that I just determine what I want to do and what I want to think and what I want to say. And he says, you're not your own. I gave you my Holy Spirit so that you would build a house on the foundation of the gospel so that you would point others to the beautiful saving grace through my son Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what God says. Like That's why I've done what I've done. And we take it and we go, that's awesome. I, I got other things to do. We are called to live lives of living sacrifice. Okay? And the rest of chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 are going to give us more shaping to that. What does this look like? What does this look like in love? What does this look like in unity? What does this look like in these different aspects? And so Paul's going to continue down this thread. Because what he's saying is, I spent 11 chapters <laughs> establishing the foundation of this. We're in the now what? And I get it. It's going to be convicting and it's going to be tough. But let me just encourage you. There is nothing more important in your life than to be honest with God. And if you don't feel the way that you think you should feel, Pray to him about that. If you don't feel convicted, ask him to convict you. If you don't, if, and I've told this story before, if you're like, God, I don't, I don't see any sin in my life, which I sadly said about 10 years ago, and then God slapped me upside the back of the head and went, how about that one? And he, and he opened my eyes. He helped me to see things unseen. That's what we want. Don't be afraid of conviction. Embrace it. Let me pray.